This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. interviews Dr. Cynthia A. Bond-Hobson. Whether you're describing who she is or what she does, Cynthia A. Bond-Hobson, PhD, is indescribably wonderful. She's charming, confident, effervescent, and utterly amazing. With a knack for inspiring women and audiences of all ages and taking them on a journey of self-care, liberation, and discovery, her brand of uplift is just what the doctor ordered. Mentor, sister, best-selling author, scholar, truth-teller, public intellectual, any or all of the above, she's at home discussing higher education or helping women manage their time more effectively. She asked God to bless her with gifts that would bless others, and bless them she does. A world traveler, she and her husband Roger have traveled all 50 states, six continents, and are always ready for adventure. Their book of devotions for newlyweds and not-so-newlyweds, I Do, Every Day, was named number one best-selling Christian book by Amazon.com. Dr. Hobson's newest offering, Totally Graceful, Wisdom for Phenomenal and Grace-Filled Women, in Novo Publishers, July 2019, is a purse-sized 31-day dose of inspiration and empowerment. Along with bad hair days, rainy days, and Mondays, too many irons in the fire, and they're all smoking, and 31 is 30 Wonderful, a prayer and reflection journal-slash-journey for triumphant women, second edition, she beautifully uses laughter and straight talk to joyfully move audiences from complacency to power. She is a gifted storyteller as evidenced through her groundbreaking tomb, The Women of Haywood, Their Lives, Our Legacy. Chronicling the lives of four professional women, she infuses their powerful stories of triumph with scholarly essays and reflections to provide rich context and additional insights. Her poignant letter to the former First Lady Michelle Obama was one of 100 selected for inclusion in the book Go Tell Michelle, a collection from African-American women. The book became an award-winning stage play and bestseller. Dr. Bond Hobson earned the BA in Mass Communications from Clark College, now Clark Atlanta University, the MS in Journalism from Murray State University, and the PhD in Journalism from Southern Illinois University, Carbondale. In 2017, she received a Doctor of Humane Letters degree from the historic Bethune-Cookman University, and in 2019, 
the Thurston Group of Washington State awarded her a Lifetime Achievement Award for her commitment to higher education. She is a member of the Delta Sigma Theta Sorority, Inc., the National Association of Black Journalists, and the NAACP. She and Roger live in Cordova, Tennessee, and they have two children, Marcos and Angela, four grandchildren, Kira, Terrell, Maya, and Morgan, and great-grandson, Avery. Here is the interview with Dr. Cynthia A. Bond-Hobson. In your own words, who is Dr. Cynthia A. Bond-Hobson? Somebody's <laughs> asked me that today, but uh, she is a beautiful, vivacious, amazing woman from small town America who um, had a hope and a dream to see the world and is enjoying every moment of the journey. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> to me. Um, before we talk about some of the topics in your book, Totally Graceful, Wisdom for Phenomenal and Grace-Filled Women, I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off record. So the first one is, what is grace to you? A place that I'm in that I haven't done anything to get here, I haven't done anything to deserve it, but I'm basking in this particular place because God intended for me to be here. Yeah, I love that answer. How is wisdom different from knowledge, Dr. Cynthia? The thing about wisdom is that you come to it. It's not something you get up in the morning and you decide, okay, I'm going to be wise today. It's it's, it's, it's something that um, you live and you experience. And once you know, I think a better way to say it is once you know better, you do better. And you understand that you know something more than you did yesterday. So the stupid stuff that you did yesterday, you can't do it today and say, well, I didn't know. So uh, wisdom is, is that... Um, lesson you've learned from experience. You didn't ask for it, but you got it just the same. Right, right. What is the meaning of freedom to you? I think freedom for me is having the ability to do what my heart says do. It's uh, following um, what I hear in my heart and what I would love to do. It's um, it's an opportunity to live into my greatness, really. I, I think God has created each one of us to be a phenomenal person. And when we sell ourselves short or when we make excuses for not living into our greatness, I just think that uh, that's not what God intended. And so freedom for me means that I have an opportunity to... Um, take a step forward and to uh, succeed against all odds to, um, as Ray Charles would say, make it do what it do. Yeah, I love that. And that's so true. Be able to, uh, to choose, yeah, to know that we can choose a better life. It's just incredible, right? Opens all possibilities. 
Well, there are always signs when you can't do what you want to do. You know, there are parameters that you have to work within. But I think it's important for you to do those things that you can do and not make excuses for um, why you didn't succeed or why you didn't get what you wanted. Just um, I think that's important for you to have the freedom to make a choice on whether you're going to live triumphantly or make excuses. Yeah, I love that. And that's true. True. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? And what is your vision for a new reality? I think the world's greatest need would probably be for people to understand their own power. Uh, my niece Sharon puts it, uh, to know what your superpower is. And I think so many of us have not figured out that we have this superpower and that it is um, the thing that makes us get up in the morning and put one foot in front of the other and, and keep trying to do better. Um, I think that that would be our greatest, uh, greatest thing, is for us to live into the power that we have and understand that we're very powerful, whether it's what we say, whether it's what we do, or how we live and touch other touch others. And especially in this time of COVID-19 and all the other things that are swirling around us, um, living into that thing that makes us special uh, is so important. I, I believe that each one of us has been gifted to do something phenomenal in our lives. And if we don't do it, it won't get done. One of the things I have learned, uh, I've been in the house pretty much uh, sheltering in place since uh, I guess it's been more than two months now. Uh, one of the things I have learned uh, and I've decided would be a vision going forward is that the bad old days are never, ever coming back. This new normal that we find ourselves in, we have to create a, a, a new bold and bodacious world, a new reality, a new normalcy, if you will, um, I have found myself uh, just basking in walking around in the house, just sitting in a chair and looking out the window and admiring the admiring the morning is what I like to call it. Um, I think the vision that we have to have for ourselves is that we're going to have to stop doing so many things that don't matter, so many things we don't enjoy, and find that happy place where we can do uh, that thing that feeds our soul, that thing that um, makes our lives meaningful. Um, and, and so a vision for how we do that. I think we, we need to take more time to do reflection. I think we're so busy being busy um, children are worn out. The car is worn out. We're worn out. We're just going from place to place to place. And I don't think we take enough time to stop and think and realize, you know, I didn't enjoy doing that. Why, why, why do I keep doing it? And, uh, I think that's so important for us to take some time to reflect and think about, how we want to live, not just that we're going to live, but how are we going to live? How are our lives going to be improved? How are they going to be different? How are they going to be significant? 
And then there's that word that that word significant. How how is it that we're going to be significant? Because so much of what we do is insignificant. So true, so true, so true. And I absolutely love everything you said. And I have a question, two questions. Um, one's about the superpower. So our gifts, our strengths. How do we learn to identify our gifts and use them? I tell you, I was probably 35 or 40 years old before I realized what my gifts were. Uh, I mean, I, I am very very poor at algebra. I'm sure I, if I, if I were taught correctly, I could learn to do algebra, but so far I have not been taught properly and I do not do well with algebra. So I knew I wasn't supposed to be an uh, algebraic um, guru and I don't like bloods. So I knew I wasn't supposed to be a healthcare professional, um, but I didn't really know what I was supposed to do, why, why I had been created. And my husband's a United Methodist minister, and I love to hang out with him when he goes to do visitation. And one day we went to the hospital and the patient we went to see said, wow, you brought the sunshine with you. And I thought I did, but I, I, I think God gave me a special gift to, uh, work with people and everybody doesn't have that gift. You know, some people have gift to do this or that or the other. I have a gift to work with people. Give me a hundred people and I can work 99 and three quarters of them. Now that other quarter, yeah, I'm one of these kind of people. I don't grow on you. You either like me right away or you like me at all. I don't grow on you. And, and I find very few people that I cannot get along with that I don't like. And so um, when I realized that that was a gift that I had been given, you know, to be able to work with people, I started to embrace that. And it was amazing to me. The Lord just opened doors for me to uh, work with people and inspire them and, and to say those things that I needed to say. And so I see my gift as bringing sunshine. And so if I've had a day where I have not, uh, said something that made somebody smile, I just feel like a complete failure. And so I just believe that if we say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? What is what is the gift you have given me that makes me special? The Lord will reveal that to you. And, and probably you're already doing whatever that something is. You just hadn't thought about it as a gift. Because like I said, who would have thought bringing sunshine was a gift? You, you know, you just do what you do. And um, I, I, I take that very seriously because um, when I had my 40th birthday, guys, it doesn't seem like it was almost 25 years ago. When I had my 40th birthday, my husband put together a surprise party for me. And he brought people from every corner of my life, except uh, I don't think any of my students were there. But people talked for two hours and I cried the whole way through about how I could remember people's birthdays and if I'd call and make their day or what, you know, little things, little things that I just do because I just love, I love to do them. I, I didn't realize that that was something that was really making a difference. And so, yeah, I take that very seriously. Some sunshine is what I'm after. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Boy, and who doesn't love the sun? Uh, so <laughs> who doesn't? Impossible not to. Um, I guess a question that comes to mind, why do you think it takes 
so long for us to realize what our purpose and gifts are. I don't think everybody has to wait 35 or 40 years to figure it out. I, I think, you know, there's some children who already know what they want to be when they grow up and then they go do that and they love it. And I, I just think anything that you enjoy doing, anything that you love uh, and would do for free. Um, I used to be a, a journalism professor and I felt guilty every month taking my paycheck. I did. Because I would have I done it for free uh, because I, I just felt like I had an opportunity to touch students and to make a difference. And I loved every moment of it. And so um, I think when we decide what that something is that we love and we would do for free, yeah. I think there's an answer right there. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so much sense. True. And my other questions about the comment you made earlier about that so many of us live lives that are not meaningful. And I'm wondering why that is. Why do we keep doing the things that are not meaningful that we don't even enjoy? It's because of expectations, I think. Um, my students would tell me that their parents had told them, um, you can't make any money as a journalist. And so make sure you have something to fall back on. And I would always ask, so how many journalists do your parents know? And they usually didn't know any. And I said, there are people who make a very good living. Um, you know, they make millions and millions of dollars. Now, I didn't say you're going to make millions, but um, it's one of those situations that uh, it's easy for us to be comfortable and do that thing that doesn't require us to step out of our comfort zone, that thing that uh, makes us uncomfortable, um, that thing that we're so afraid of. Um, it's easy. It, yeah, it's, it's easy. And uh, it, it, it takes some extra, extra courage to get up and step out on faith and, and do that thing that that our heart is calling us to do. It's just much easier to have a job that we hate or uh, stay in a, uh, an abusive relationship. All of those things, that's easy. If you go by common sense, even doesn't seem to be that easy, right? It must be very tough. <laughs> Listen, my dad often said, if sense were common, everybody would have it. Uh, it's, it's, it's one of those situations that... Um, what seems simple to you and what seems like common sense to everybody is, is not that easy. It's not that easy. Sometimes you have to have a revelation um, and hopefully it doesn't take uh, a traumatic event to give you that revelation. But uh, it's easy to do what you've always done, even though you expect something different to happen, even though you've not done anything different. Right, right. Because like you said, it takes a lot of um, courage and energy to change, right? Oh, gosh. I tell you, change is one of those things that um, we always, well, we don't always like the end result, but that process is one we certainly don't want to go through. Yeah. Isn't it funny that it's one of my questions because I read this in your book about change is good, especially when you get to direct and control it. <laughs> it, it makes all the difference when, when it happens with you uh, at the helm rather than it happens to you because you weren't paying attention. Right, right. So true. 
So continue with my warm-up questions. The next one is about love. What is love to you? Is that feeling that you can't fully describe, but you know it when you see it. It's, um, it's knowing that somebody cares, um, that you care deeply for, and that feeling that you would be at a real loss if you didn't have it. Yeah. Yes. What is your understanding and idea of peace? Peace is for me that place that I get up in the morning and I can sit and be still and listen for God instead of being anxious, instead of worrying about what the day will bring, instead of um, fretting about what didn't get done yesterday. It's, um, it's a moment in time for me. Uh, peace is one of those things that um, when you are at a peaceful place, you know it. Um, my childhood home is one that um, we now have. And when I go there, it's just I don't know. It's it's a simple place. It's a it's a comforting place. And one day before my um, great aunt mom who lived there died, uh, she came home and I was just sitting outside in the swing. And she said, "Why didn't you go inside?" And I said, "It was just perfect here. Um, the the chickens were just kind of meandering around the yard, and there was a nice." And I mean, it was just a peaceful place. And so there are places that you can go, but there are also those feelings that you understand. This is a peaceful place. This is a thing that uh, gives you a non-anxious presence. And I think more and more people need to look for that place rather than um, aiming for the next big thing uh, is, is learning how be at peace and, and in peace. Um, one of my friends was telling me that she had gotten divorced after many, many years because her husband just had a real problem staying at home. And she said, it was at a place where I just said, go, go. And I was happy for him to go because I was at a place where um I could be at peace and I didn't have to worry about when he was coming home, if he was coming home. And she said, I'm, I'm happy. I'm really very happy. I'm happy for him and I'm more happy for myself. So, yeah. Wow. And that's wonderful to be able to recognize that and make that decision with courage. Yeah. When we have to, right? My next question is about God. What, where, and who is God to you? God is, I'll just put some dot, dot, dots right there. God is. Um, I was, I was brought up uh, from my earliest remembrances. Uh, I was brought up in the church and the church has been really very important in my life. And, and I was introduced to God very early and I have come to understand that wherever I am, God is. 
and um, it was one of those situations that um, I have had to learn, keyword learn, to trust God with everything, the big things, the little things, the things that seem insignificant because I've seen the insignificant things just take my life over. Uh, I thought, oh, I can handle that. Um, God is, is love and um, God is my everything. I mean, yeah. I absolutely love what you just say. I have to use the same word, love. Um, where I am, God is. That's beautiful. Well, I want to be. I want to be where God is as well. I don't want. I don't. I have to have these long talks with Sophia because sometimes I think she wants to have her own way, and so I have to say, Lord, what I want is Your will and not my own will. <laughs> so, so that uh, I'm not doing what I want to do, but I'm doing what God would be pleased with, and and that's always my prayer. Lord, help me to do that thing that pleases you. And if that means stepping out on faith, if that means holding still, what, whatever that looks like, that's what I want to do. I want you to, when Cynthia Ann Bond Hobson comes to mind, I want you to clap your knee and just say, wow, I did. I did a great job with that one. Oh, yeah. That's my girl right there. That's my girl. And, um, and so I'm always to make sure that whatever I do pleases God. And sometimes where God wants me to go, I don't want to go. I don't. And I'm not happy there. But um, I I was telling um, one of my friends the other day, I had gone to the doctor one day and my doctor took one look at me and said, whatever is going on with you. And I said, honey, you don't have time for me to tell you what's going on. And she said, try me. So she pulled up that little rolling stool. And 30 minutes later, I confessed to having stolen cookies in the first grade and all kinds of stuff she probably probably didn't need to know. And so she got up and she wrote me a prescription for a Yonla Van Zandt's book. And it's called Value in the Valley. And what it what it says is that sometimes when we're in a valley, we forget that a valley is between mountains. So you're either coming from a mountain, you're going to a mountain, but you're in the valley for a reason. And sometimes we're so busy trying to get out of the valley, we miss the lessons. And so I'm always prayerful, Lord, help me learn the lessons. If I'm in the valley and I and I can't see where I'm going. Help me understand what the lesson is here and help me learn it and learn it well so that uh, I can move forward in your name and I can do what's pleasing to you. And I'm happy to say that through the trials and tribulations, God does usually, um, not usually, God does answer the prayer sometimes in the ways I don't want, but God still answers, answers that prayer. How wonderful. Thank you so much for your wisdom, Dr. Cynthia. Is um, This is beautiful. And I call it wisdom, but I think my, I might change because wisdom, yeah, it comes from experience, but it's deeper than that. It's a knowing. So I really I thank you for that. It's beautiful. Really beautiful. And my last question, what do you think is the purpose of life, the human experience? I think 
if you're here on the earth, you're supposed to make the world better than you found it. Um, and whatever that looks like, if that means helping at the soup kitchen today, if that means for me, I love ringing the Salvation Army bell uh, during the holidays and watching people teach good lessons to their children. It, I love it when the children make them uh, make the parents put the money in the kettle. And I just say thank you so much for teaching good lessons. So I just um, I think life is is for living. I think it's for sharing. It's for giving. It's for uh, being. And I think if we miss that, then uh, yeah. The world is not going to be all it should be. I think um, there's so many different people in the world. And my great-grandmother used to tell me, baby, there's enough you don't know to make a whole brand new world. And so every so every day, if you live and you learn something new, just think about how smart you're going to be a year from now. If you learn one new thing every year, uh, every day. And so it's one of those situations that life is... Wow, a mystery. It's a blessing. It's uh, it's absolutely a journey. And I've had an incredible one. That's all I know. Um, I, I Seriously, I grew up in a little town that probably has about 300 people in it. And they were all a part of my life. They were part of my village. And they invested in me. They believed in me. And uh, each one shared something special with me, even though they didn't say, okay, now this is something special. You want to pay attention. But seriously, there was, there was this one little man at our church who prayed the same prayer every Sunday morning to the point that we do that prayer by heart. But at, at, seriously, and, and, we would, and we would repeat it silently with him, but uh, he had, uh, he had lost his, uh, lost his wife. And so he had six or seven children. And he'd always pray for his little motherless children. And there were times when um, I was I was in a low place, I'm sure, but I could hear him praying. I knew he was praying for me as well. I knew he was praying for uh, the world uh, to leave me alone so that I could soar. And so uh, life is is a precious gift. And I'm so thankful to God for allowing me to bask in uh, his glory. Yeah. Thank you for being that vessel, being that um, open and receptive love, just being love itself in a way. Thank you. So um, how did you become a writer? I started writing probably in fourth grade. Um, my great-grandmother lived in the house with us when I was growing up, and she didn't like to write, but she had a sister who lived in Chicago and and a best friend who had moved to Cleveland. So I'd, I'd write my Aunt Sue and, and Miss Lucy, and all the letters sounded the same, I think. Dear Lucy, how are you? This I write leaves me fine. <laughs> so, and she taped the nickel, and, you know, that was big time back then, so. So uh, I would I would I would uh, I would take dictation and write these letters for my great grandmother and uh, I always loved to write though and my teachers I think indulged me and I remember maybe when I was a junior in high school 
one of my teachers really uh, said, you know, you've got a gift here. And I don't think I realized it at the time, but I love to write. So I just, uh, I would write all kinds of stuff. Now I am not a poet. I, I've tried writing poetry and that is not my gift. But um, I, I, I've always loved to write. And uh, the elementary school in, in my community uh, closed. And that school had been such a central part of my life. It had been such a uh, an essential part of our community. I called the editor at the local newspaper and said, would you be interested in my reflections? And she said, oh, yes, I would love that. So I wrote uh, a reflection of the school and, and how much it had meant to the community and all of this. And I got such positive response from the people in the community. And so I called the editor back and said, okay, so would you be interested in my writing a column on a regular basis? And so she said, sure. So I started writing um, a column. I think I might've done it maybe twice a month. And then I started writing it like if somebody died or if it was a special occasion or whatever. and. I don't know. I, I I love to write, and I still get a thrill from seeing my name on a byline. I, I'm I'm, I'm still small time like that. But um, my sister, there are eight children in my family. I'm child number two, and so number one is a sociologist, and she said, "You know, you really need to do something with those columns." And I thought, like what? And she said, "Well, you know, you need to put them in a book." Um, because there are no other histories of our community. And I hadn't even thought about that. I hadn't even looked at the large sociological uh, impact of, of what they might mean. And so it was so funny. I had just finished my dissertation and it had been such a traumatic kind of situation for me uh, that I had not been able to touch that thing for about a year and a half. And so I was in my office one day at home, it was Wednesday, and the Lord said to me, go ahead and check on writing a book about those columns. And I was like, Lord, I just got started working on this dissertation slash book. And the Lord said to me, what part to do what I said do? Did you mean? <laughs> did you mean? So I stopped working on what became Times of Challenge and Controversy, my second book, and started working on Wiggle Tales, which was my first book. And it's called Wiggle Tales because my first grade teacher taught first grade at that little school there in the community for 43 years. And she called the children Wiggle Tales, she said, because they could hardly keep still. And so um, one thing led to the other, <laughs> to the other, to the other. And I love to write. I, I feel like the Lord gives me something to say. And anybody who's ever read anything I've written and said, it's like sitting down and having a conversation with me because I write like I talk. So that works out very nicely. And and my audiences have responded to that because most people like to have conversations with their friends. And so for me, I'm just having a conversation with my friends with a pen or with my computer. How wonderful. In a way, writing, it's we become the messenger. And in this case, yeah, for God, for the, the, the higher grounds, right? It's wonderful. Well, I had to understand that 
my gift is from God. And if God doesn't give me something to say, I don't have anything to say. I have sat and looked at that computer and sat and looked at that computer and nothing, and nothing and nothing happened. Let me tell you, nothing happened. And I have had to understand that I'm totally, totally dependent on God for inspiration. And I always believe when I finish writing that God has spoken through me and had um, a message for the people. And so I'm thankful for that. I'm absolutely thankful because, um, yeah, I, I think God gives me something to say because I need to say something about whatever it is. I was writing my blog and um, I was taking on President Obama and President Trump for not asking the questions before they speak. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? And I just, I don't know, the Lord laid that on my heart that, you know, when they start name calling and placing blame and things like that, is is that really necessary? Probably not. But anyway. Yeah, in my opinion, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not. Absolutely. We can have a conversation. <laughs> uh, why not? Yeah. Yeah. You sound very grateful to that divine force and um, that can be can be heard. There's joy. That's what it is, too. What you call sunshine. But this is joy coming from gratitude of being touched with yeah, the divine force. It's beautiful, really beautiful. So what was the inspiration and intention of writing your book, Totally Graceful? Again, I felt like God had given me something to say, and it needed a bigger audience than um, I write this blog that's called Graceful, with two L's, Graceful. And so uh, Totally Graceful is a collection, uh, a carefully prayed over collection of those blogs that I've been writing, I guess, for the last five or six years. And... Uh, 31, 31 has been very good to me. Um, I write books of devotions in 31 lessons simply because uh, one of my honesty team members said that they wanted one for every day. And uh, my first book of devotions was Bad Hair Days, Rainy Days, and Mondays. And I sent uh, the first five or six lessons out to what I called my honesty team, meaning women of great faith who I thought would be honest with me. And I said, okay, answer these questions. What do you like about these um, lessons? Would you buy them in a book? Um, tell me what you think. And they said, okay, yeah, we're, we're good with this. But how many of you decided to write. And I thought, well, I don't know. I, I've, I've, I've told you, I told you everything I know. And then that one person said, but I'd really like to have one for every day. And I thought, I don't know if I know 31 things to put in a book. And my husband assured me, yes, you know, 31 things, you know, more than 31 things. So, um, I started writing, um, the 31. And so, um, I've got three or four books of 31 lessons. And so um, when I was trying to figure out totally graceful, um, I thought, okay, well, let's go back with 31. 31 has been very good to me. 31 works for me. And um, so 
I, I collected my favorite 31 and put them in this um, in this book. And it was amazing to me how it just kind of came together. When I started teaching, I would tell my students on day one, okay, there are no free lunches for real. But you, when you graduate, I owe you lunch. Uh, I'm not going to give you the money, but you have to take me with you and I'll take you to lunch anywhere you want to go. Uh, when you graduate. And so every year I'd have students who'd come and say, it's time for me to graduate. And we'd go to all kinds of interesting places, wherever they chose for lunch. And I said, however, the string, the little bitty string that's attached to it is when you become rich and famous, you owe lunch. And I've had three or four lunches from my rich and famous, <laughs> my rich and famous but um, I think that was last year I had one of my former colleagues from the University of Memphis, where I taught most recently, uh, who called and said, one of my students was looking for me because she had become rich and, or she was about to become rich and famous and she wanted me to lunch. And so this student um, shared her publisher with me because she had just written a book about her grandparents who were suffering from dementia and how she had had to care for them. And so she um, said it was time for her to uh, buy me a free lunch. <laughs> so um, I found a team at this uh, Innovo Publishing that was so easy to work with. And they were, it was a God-centered kind of business. And they were in the same place I was at with um, the ministry that we were trying to do. And so we hit it off right away. And so they helped me create Totally Graceful. And every step of the way was a God thing. And that's all I know. It was a God thing. Um, the person who did the cover created a perfect cover the first time. It's beautiful. Yeah, I love the cover. Right. I was just reflecting on that last night. Right. Well, it, it's a fun kind of color. It's got bright, vivid colors. And, and I mean, she created it from the, yeah, the first time. I loved everything about it. and everybody I showed it to had the same reaction to it so um here we go this is a god thing it is a god thing right yeah yes yes a thousand times in your book you wrote something interesting you say the way you treat you is the way others will treat you so do you believe in unconditional self-love Absolutely. I have these talks with Cynthia and remind her, girl, you're just bad. You're just bad to the bone. And I have to remind myself of that because the world is already ready to make you self-doubt. I mean, uh, you know, are you smart enough? Are you beautiful enough? Are you successful enough? Are you ambitious enough? And if you are not clear about who you are and who Who's you are, you'll miss you'll miss something. I'm promising you, you will miss something because I don't think the world is set up to affirm. I think it's basically there to um, certainly there are people who are going to be in your corner no matter what, but then there are always those others who will tear you down. And so it's so important for you to be kind to yourself say warm and fuzzy things to yourself like girl you are so beautiful you are so and i mean you have to have these conversations with yourself so that you are confident that you are all that you're supposed to be and i think that's what god intends and 
somebody somewhere must have said, you know, put other people first. And I'm not saying put other people last, but if you don't take care of you, then you don't have anything to give anybody else. You don't have anything to share. And so it's so important for self-care and self-love. And I think that's the key to success. I really do. Yeah, and I agree. I love the way in your book you leave that space so we can write reflections after we read a certain passage. So that's wonderful. Well, I, I guess it makes perfect sense, but I think I don't think it has to be an either or. I think it has to be a both and. And for me, if if I don't love me, I'm really probably not going to love you. I'm going to, I'm, I might not hurt you, but I'm not going to make it my business to love and care for you if I don't love and care for myself. And so for me, um, self-love is, is, is so important. And I would not want to let myself go just so I could love somebody else. Because I think if you love you, it comes naturally for you to love others. That's that. That's that honesty team again. Um, one of the members said, I think if you give me some time to reflect and think about what, I, what I'm feeling now that I've read what you said, I think that would be important. And I thought, well, you know, you might be on to something. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, I listened to my honesty team. They've not led me wrong yet. Yeah. Talk to me about forgiveness and what makes forgiveness such a powerful healing tool. I tell you, um, forgiving yourself is first and foremost, because uh, so much of the burden that we carry around comes from what somebody else has, what somebody else has done to us or because of us. And uh, we take it to heart. We do. And if you don't forgive and let go, you suffer needlessly. I mean, it's it's one of those situations that you carry around. It's, it's kind of like trying to run with a house on your head. I mean, you're just not serious. You're just not going to get far with that. Uh, it weighs you down. You have to think about it all the time. You you can't go to the grocery store because you got this house on your head. And so <laughs> it's something you have to, you have to let it go. And it's hard. I'm telling you, um, as they said, somebody done me wrong. And I, oh gosh, I I hate it. And I'm thinking, don't call me if you're on fire. Okay. But it, but but once you understand what your role in all of this was or is, and you understand that you can let it go, you can forgive yourself, you can forgive others. It's kind of like, uh, it's like that rainbow at the end of the storm. It's 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 powerful. It's really very powerful. And sometimes when we um, hate people or have problems with people, we forgot why we were even upset with them. I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it, 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 is, it has consumed us to the point that we have forgotten that we have the power to forgive. Now, you know, forgiving and forgetting are two different animals. They spell differently. <laughs> they pronounce differently. 
They're two different animals. And so if you forgive and don't forget, that's 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 a powerful thing. And certainly if you can forgive and forget, it's kind of like if you have a scar, you see it and you kind of remember where you got it, but it doesn't hurt. Mm, right. So you so you can move on, you can respect it. Yeah, I like that. And that goes back to that idea of wisdom, experience, the lessons. Yeah. Lessons learned, right? Yes. You know, you don't want to go back there again. And you have a scar to prove that you have been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, and are now using it for a dust rag. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, talk to me about Dr. Maya Angelou. What does she represent to you? <laughs> a woman of wisdom, absolutely. She, uh, she usually says what we're thinking, but in such an eloquent kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> when she talks about uh, the phenomenal woman and um, I don't know, wherever wherever she has spoken, there is an essence that lingers that reminds you that you have a special place in the universe and it's up to you to live into your greatness. That's what the that's what the expectation is, but it's still up to you whether you choose to live into your greatness. Wow, that's beautifully said. Yeah, wonderfully said because that's what she came here to do, huh? Wow. Yes. Oh, beautiful. Yes. Um, and we're almost at the end. I have a lot of things that I wrote here <laughs> that I won't be able to go through, but uh, let me see if there's one more thing. I absolutely love the way you said it so many times in remarkable ways. Kindness always matters. Listen, that kindness is, is as important as breathing as far as I'm concerned. How we treat, how we treat ourselves, number one, and how we treat others makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. My uh, <laughs> my aunt Sally was my uh, maternal grandmother's youngest sister, and listen, every time I visited Aunt Sally, I was the most beautiful, the most amazing, the most phenomenal niece she had, and she would tell me, "Oh, you got," and she had this little voice, oh, "But you've got such big, pretty arms," and she would not calling my arms fat. But big arms, she'd say. And then she'd show, she'd show me her arms. And she said, but she's got little skinny, drabby, drabby arms. Uh, you have big, pretty arms. And so I love to visit her because she would always make me feel better. And she's always very affirming and, and kind. And so I loved her. And then there was this one other cousin that every time I saw her, she was whining and complaining about, you don't ever come to see me and you don't get one, 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 one. I'm thinking there's a reason. <laughs> obvious, <laughs> obvious reason, right? <laughs> Clear reason. <laughs> so, this is one of those True. things that kindness begets kindness. And so when people treat you kindly, you are much more likely to treat them kindly as well. And so, uh, Kindness. I've got little sayings all around the house that say kindness matters or be kind or 
whatever. Because I believe kindness is as important as breathing. And I think when we're kind to one another, it just makes, as President George Herbert Walker Bush said, a kinder, gentler <laughs> world. I, I, I just think that's, that's something so simple we can do. We can lend a helping hand. We can give a kind word. I have, I have noticed if you say something kind to people, it's hard for them to be ugly and, and say, why are you saying that to me? It just, kindness begets kindness. And um, a woman in our community would remind her 11 children that it's just nice to be nice. And I tell you what it is. It's just nice to be nice. Yeah. Wow. I love that too. What you said about uh, kindness is as important as breathing, right? It makes all the difference. It, it makes the difference between a great day and a phenomenal day. <laughs> yeah, I agree 100%. Yeah, wow. Thank you so much again for your wisdom. Wow, I'll be talking to you forever if I could <laughs> stay here. <laughs> I have some final questions for you. Would you like to add anything or read a passage from your book before I do that? This one is lesson number 20 and it's called Use Your Own yeah. Stuff. And this is one of the conversations I love to have with women groups, women's groups, because for some reason we want to put our nice china up and use it for company, even though we never use it when the company comes, or we want to think more of our stuff, <laughs> think more of our stuff than we ought to. And this one's simply called Use Your Own Stuff. One of my favorite remembrances from childhood involves my great aunt mother, Emma's cedar chest. This beautiful piece of furniture didn't reach the top of the mattress, but it lived at the foot of the bed. It was made from cedar, hence its name, and it wasn't quite as wide as the bed. Anyway, it had a nice tray inside and contained all her really nice things. You know, the sheets, towels, sweaters, stuff that was too nice to use every day. It was strictly reserved for company, though I never saw it brought out for use by the four million visitors or so it seemed who frequented our home. But about twice a year on a quiet night, she and I would pull up our chairs and open it up. We'd ooh and ah over the beautiful things inside, take them out, refold them, and close it until the next time. One day, about three years before her death, I was visiting and the face cloths were almost threadbare and I I knew she had some better ones, so I asked why she wasn't using some of those gorgeous ones from that cedar chest. And she admitted that she hated to use them because they were so pretty or they weren't sturdy, sturdy enough for daily use. I assured her she was caring a lot more about those things than anybody else would. I even promised her that after she was gone, I was going to use them every day. I encouraged her to go to that darn chest, those gorgeous things that were probably dry rotted by now and enjoy them. They had been gifts to her, so I said she should be the one to feel their plushness while wallowing on those expensive thread counts. I said, don't leave them for some other big-headed woman to enjoy. <laughs> and I put in parentheses, the saga of the big-headed woman is a story for another day, but suffice it to say, that was all the convincing she needed. So my dears, wear that fancy dress, Get those beautiful dishes and those nice heavy forks out and enjoy them. Heck, 
it doesn't matter if you're only having a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Trust me, because the beauty of things, it'll be like having filet mignon. When you're gone, your fancy towels will be left behind for somebody to wash the car with, or your water for crystal may be on the patio for the dog's water, or come to, or come to some other space. Use and enjoy your own stuff. This Sunday, treat your family like company and refuse to treat strangers better than the ones you love. Enjoy all the beauty around you. Start with yourself, your heart, and your spirit. Then move on, admiring the color purple spider webs in the morning, dew, sunrises, and sunsets. Okay, everything. Oh, and give thanks for the journey. The Wow. Uh, do you have an audiobook? I don't have an audiobook. That, that's, on, that's on the horizon. Oh, that would be wonderful. Yeah. It's, it, I, I should have a little trailer that says, coming soon. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds like a great idea because the expression, it's like a song. <laughs> the way you read, <laughs> that's fun. Kind of... Uh, it's like almost like a journey itself. Yeah, like a mini journey. Well, there's no such a thing as mini journey, but everything's a journey. You're good for my ego. You are so good for my ego. <laughs> so my final questions. Um, oh, that's the one. Um, yeah, that's funny that we don't use the nice things that we have. Um, we keep them. We wait. It's that idea of waiting to be happy. Right? We do that a lot. And I'm wondering why. <laughs> There's no point. What a, what a waste. What a waste of a day. What a waste of our energies and perfect thoughts. What a waste. Right, right, right. So, um, what was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself, Dr. Cynthia? That I had power that I wasn't using. When I realized that I had the power to choose, I had the power to make the difference, I had the power to use my time more wisely. So many, so many times I, I, I wasted that, I squandered that. And I don't intend to do that anymore. I, I want to make sure that I think carefully about the choices that I make. And one of the things when people call and say, would you serve on this committee or would you do this or would you do that? My first question is, how long, how long is the meeting? How many meetings do you have? And if it's more than four years, I'm not the one because I, uh, in my work, um, I, I go to lots of meetings. So the last thing I want to do on my free time is go to a meeting. And I've decided I'm not a policy wonk. I want to touch the people. I was on a children's home board for about a year. No, no, it was a, like a four-year term. And I never touched a child. I'm thinking, how in the world can I be on a children's home board and I never touch the children? And I decided I don't like making policy. I like to touch the children if I want to hug them or sit down and carry on a conversation. I want that opportunity. And so uh, for me, I love doing volunteer work and I choose the ones that I want to do, the causes that I believe in, big brothers, big sisters, Habitat, things like that, that I can see what I'm doing 
And, you know, for me, I don't want to waste the energy and time and gifts that I have been given simply because um, I was too busy doing other stuff that I didn't enjoy doing. And so I have power and I'm intending Mm. to use it and be very, very powerful. Mm, wow, I love that. It's in the the ability to say no. It's um, it's part of it, isn't it? It's, it's so important. And if you don't say no, I promise you, uh, the world will take all you give them. True, that's so true. And 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 squander it on on wastefulness on stuff that doesn't matter. So it's up to you to guard your time and your energy and to make sure that what you're doing matters. Yes. Yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> um, so I have three, uh, one, two, two more questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, leaving the body, would you change anything about your life or do anything differently? Uh, yes, I would. I would go ahead and plan my funeral. I'd go ahead and write my own, go ahead and write my own obit so I could choose the music and people I want to participate and I would not waste time on regrets. I would not waste time on regrets. If I knew that I was going to die soon I would give everything I had to make the world better than I found it and to um, touch the children. You know, the thing, I've got this little plaque on my wall that says 100 years from now, nobody will care what kind of house I lived in, what kind of car I drove. But what might really matter is if I made a difference in the life of a child. And for me, that's, you know, that's the name, that's the name of the game right there. And um I, I would I would be intentional, more intentional in working with children and 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 admiring and respecting them, and remind and re, and reminding them of the great expectations that God has for their lives. Yeah, but in a way, you're already doing that. Yeah, you are. You're already living that life. Thank you. And um, um, my last question: What are three things about life you know for sure as of today? That, um, let's see, three things. That it's always worth living, number one. Number two, that if each one of us will do our best every day, it'll make all the difference. And then the third thing is that we have to live every day until we die. Stop wasting time and energy on stuff that doesn't matter. We have to live and stop whining and complaining and planning. I mean, certainly you got to plan how to do this or that or the other or plan for this, that, and the other. But so much of the time we waste, we waste, um, we waste our lives away uh, plotting and planning and putting stuff off and uh, waiting for something more wonderful to come along when, heck, life is the gift right there. Right, right, right here, right now, right Right here, right now. Yeah. Thank you so much for your presence, for your beauty, and for your wisdom. Thank you. And your love. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dr. Cynthia. Beautiful. Thank you for having me. Uh, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? DrBondHobson.com.
Wonderful. That's simple. <laughs> I love it. I love it. DrBondHobson.com. And it's B-O-N-D, Bond, like James Bond. And then Hobson, H-O-P, is in potato, S-O-N. It sounds like something else when I see it. So I just usually spell it. So DrBondHobson.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much again. And we'll talk soon. Thanks so much for having me. Bye for now, Dr. Cynthia. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Cynthia A. Bond-Hobson, please visit her website, drbondhobson.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Bigrock. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.